for listening. Thank you for listening. To the Outstanding Ohioans. Outstanding Ohioans. Hello, thank you for tuning in to the Outstanding Ohioans show. This is Ron Silico. This is episode 37. This is part two of our interview with Matt Mayer, president of Opportunity Ohio. Thank you for listening to the Outstanding Ohioans. Because the, uh, the libertarian in me dislikes it because it's basically, in a lot of cases, telling people what they can do with their property. Yeah, no, I, yeah. Charles Murray just came out with a book called By the People. One of the things he talked about is zoning laws and the, the, the issue there being, look, if, if, you know, we got to go back to the age-old, as long as in my use of my property does not interfere or have a negative impact on the community, I should be able to do whatever it is I want on that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, that, that, that libertarian argument is there, and I get it, uh, but I also get the, the need for me to say, look, we live in, we live in Dublin because we, we like what it looks like, and we like that there are certain things you can and can't do, because, you know, it, it enhances the property value, it makes it a place people want to live, uh, and if people started putting pinstripe houses and, you know, you know, you know, businesses in neighborhoods, I mean, it would just look odd and out of shape, and, you know, bring people into the community that we may not want at that time in our neighborhoods, kind of stuff like that, so, you know, it, there's a both sides of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. Yeah, because I years ago, before we started having children, we, we were doing a bed and breakfast out of our house for four rooms, and we had to we had to apply for a city permit. We had to go to the planning commission. Then once they approved it, then we had to have city council approve it after an open hearing where any neighbors wanted to come in and discuss. And, oh, and, and those three steps don't sound like a whole lot, but as you know, meetings oh, yeah. don't meetings don't happen instantaneously. So, I mean that 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 took that took that process took three or four months from start to finish, and yeah, and, and for something like that, that cost us about a thousand dollars before we yeah. even got started. Just in and doing the permit and 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 having and doing all those things, and it was just one of those where, well, this is this is our house. We're not doing anything illegal here. We're just offering rooms so yeah, that's exactly right <laughs> so that's it's interesting and then you know i i've even we've even talked about the idea of having some livestock in our yard we have, we have about an acre and most cities have regulations that are very limited in that and you know there's this whole movement of going back to organic farming and real small scale cottage farming and what's the difference between having a a chicken and a dog that barks a lot. It's, yeah, no, that's true. That's true. <laughs> or, or having a sheep versus a dog. What, you know, in, in terms of benefit to the environment, sheep fertilize and in the lawn, and you can. There's multiple uses for sheep, and why is that a bad thing? So it's, it, it's an interesting discussion, and it it, t- it goes back to what you were talking about with the, the regulations and and all those things piling up. So, going back to regulations, give a sense for people. The federal, and John Stossel talks about it all the time. I think he says the federal register is 80,000 some pages. Well, no, I think that's the, that's the, the new, 
the new pages this year. Okay. Like, that's, that's the crazy thing, right? Like we're we're adding seventy to eighty thousand pages a year. Mm-hmm. All right. So what? Give a sense for the audience. You've got federal, and then what do the state and local regulations look like that you've seen that are really a hindrance for people trying to start up their own business or, or, or just do anything on their property? Well, you know, I mean, it, it, it's more of stuff like what you end up getting is, you know, regulations on top of regulations. In, in some cases, like huge, for example, right? So in, 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 in some cases, what you'll have is, oh, you know, you'll have – state standards on building codes, but then you're also going to have local government uh, standards or county standards on building codes. And, you know, depending on who you call, you get different answers, right? Same mm-hmm. thing with environmental regulations. You have the Fed, you have the state, and you have, you know, local ones. And again, same concept, right? Depending on who you call, you'll get different answers. And that makes it really difficult for, for you know, somebody starting a business or growing a business to, to, to comply. So what we end up having is, you know, we spend, you know, tens and tens of billions of dollars on what we call referees, right? Accountants, lawyers, uh, fiscal people, uh, uh, lobbyists, to do all this work to kind of navigate government because it's become too difficult when you add up federal, state, and local regulations for, for the simple businessman to just kind of put out a shingle, you know, get mm-hmm. customers, and become prosperous. Yeah, I've always thought it's quite the paradox that you have lawyers writing laws. <laughs> well, I think, well, that's because we have lawyers in Congress and lawyers in the White House and mm-hmm. lawyers and, you know, all over the administrative uh, Leviathan. So. And, and that's a question I've brought up before, and, and I, I don't know if you've delved into this at all. You, you mentioned – I've raised the question, you want to create a new regulation, a new ordinance, new law, whatever the case might be. Why don't you go back and repeal – the the old law that was in fact that was that was in effect if it's replacing this or making it better quote unquote whatever the case might be how come how come there's no thought about doing that you know I don't know I mean we, when I was the deputy regulator in Colorado for Bill Owens I mean we you know we put forth a very very innovative regulatory reform effort uh, that was that created enormous amounts of transparency for businesses and put a real onus on the state regulators to justify any new new or amended regulation. And, and and that really slows things down in Colorado. And you know, I'll tell you what, one of the things I've been deeply disappointed about with Governor Kasich, and you know, they have this common sense initiative thing for Mary Taylor. But you know, that is just window dressing stuff. They have yet to deregulate a single entity in the state of Ohio. And I mean how, how can you justify that? You're supposed to be this kind of conservative guy who gets business and yet you've not found a single industry or business to, to deregulate to say, you know what Maybe it's time we don't need to have barbers and cosmetologists regulated. Maybe it's time, right, we look at mortgage brokers. I mean, whatever it might be. The idea that we have regulations that they happen and then they never get pulled back is ridiculous. And we need to get away from that in America. Mm -hmm. Talking about the the state government of Ohio, you you mentioned that there were just – you said if governor, you would do a deep dive and investigate every – Every function of state government, yeah, from A to Z, uh, A to Z, man. Just, just on the surface level of what what you currently know, what would be on the chopping block of, in your mind for at least either a significant cut or elimination altogether? Well, I think you know what it's a really once and for all uh, tackle the pension, the pension problem. Maybe I'm sorry, we don't 
need to have defined benefit pensions for government workers anymore. I mean, we need to we, we, we can do a shift. That means those that are currently in the system can get shifted over time. But, you know, over the course of time, move everybody to buy contribution just like the private sector forever. And, mm-hmm. and all of the regulations that go over that and all the, 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 the cost that that's put on taxpayers is enormous. And we don't need it. I mean, when you, when you think about it, and we have people that pay 9% into a system that then they get a retirement that in some cases is, is for longer than they actually work. And it's the highest five-year salary average. I mean, those are ridiculous standards, mm-hmm. right? So what we've got to do is, is tackle that problem to bring the cost down on taxpayers and still provide a, a good retirement for the workers, mm-hmm. right? And, 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 and so those are the types of things. That's one thing that we would do, right? I think you've got to look long and hard in the, 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 the way we engage in several different business layers, uh, how we do transportation contracting, you know, how we get engaged in higher ed and, and, and what should higher ed be doing. I think there's an element of K-12 education that we can absolutely devolve even more down to the state local level uh, or to the local level. So there are things that we could look at, I think, that you, once you get in there and roll your sleeves up and start tackling it, you know, you really, we need to have a, a mentality that this needs, you need to justify this activity. If you can't, we're going to shut it down. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's, I mean, that's, why people are so against their government elected officials because no one seems to want to do the leadership, take the leadership on that. And if they do, they're, they're viewed as an outcast and no one listens to them. Or, or they got some political capital and then they can't run for the next office or whatever it might mm-hmm. be. But you know, that's why we need somebody that's going to get in there, get it done and, and not care about the next, the next, the next election. And I find it personally amusing John Boehner is my representative. Of course, he just resigned from Speaker. And one of the things he talked about was the dissonance that the Tea Party people have created. But if you look at, and I hear it every time he's up for re-election, the things that he spouts about publicly are what the Tea Party, by and large, is saying in their platform. Lower, Lower regulations, lower taxes, et cetera, et cetera. Those are things that he espouses when he's running for election, but yet he didn't like the Tea Party element in the Republican Party. No, but that's because they want accountability. I mean, look, there's a reason why on the Republican side of the 2016 election, the top three people are non-politicians. There's a reason why a socialist, 74-year-old socialist from a, from a relevant state like Vermont, is leading the Democrat side, both on the left and the right, whether it's the Occupy Wall Street crowd on the left or the Tea Party on the right, are sick and tired of the political establishment talking, 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 making promises, and yet nothing gets done once they're elected. And we see it in Washington. We see it in Columbus at the State House. We see it at our school board. We see it at our city town halls. People are sick and tired of political people not making the tough calls and getting things done on behalf of taxpayers. And, and so I'm not surprised by this by what we're seeing right now. And I think that, you know, that it should be a wake-up call for everybody out there who's, who's in the political office right now. I know one of the videos I watched with you uh, before this interview, can you share with the audience the story about the emergency legislation that went through Congress regarding Hurricane Sandy and what you discovered in that bill as it first came out? Yeah, so, you know, that, you know Hurricane Sandy, and that's, I think, one of the things that's frankly hurting Chris Christie right now is how how, how bellicose he was over New Jersey getting the federal money 
uh, on, on, on Hurricane Sandy, and really, really, even a hurricane, it was a storm by the time it hit, uh, in New York, New Jersey. <laughs> but, but yeah, what we found is there was, you know, the vast majority of spending had nothing to do with the emergency. It was just pork that had been sitting around and people tried to get things done, like, you know, fisheries in Alaska were going to get money. Fisheries in Alaska were going to get money because of a tropical storm that walloped the New York, New Jersey coastline. I mean, those are the things that we discovered. There's enormous amounts of waste, fraud, and abuse in pork that was stuffed in a $60 billion bill that, at the end of the day, did very little to, to help New York, New York, New Jersey, and just essentially created more government dependency. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Along the lines of government reform and transparency, what do, do you feel that the media is responsible and helping to provide and report on that transparent element within government? You know, I think, I think the media have become complicit. Um, you know, and, and in the, my second book, I have a whole chapter called uh, Gino, Journalist in Name Only. So it's a playoff obviously <laughs> on the rhino. And the reason I came with that is because, you know, in the, in the time I've now been in Ohio doing public policy about the Buckeye Institute and Opportunity Ohio, what I kept finding is we put out a cutting edge report on on uh, pension reform, on collective bargaining reform, on uh, you know consolidating government government units, uh, on Medicaid. I mean, you name it, right? We put this stuff out, and guess what? It doesn't make it into a single newspaper. It doesn't make it into a single TV show. Yet our friends on the left, Policy Matters Ohio, Innovation Ohio, Progress Ohio, all these progressive left wing groups. They put out a report, and guess what? It makes the front page on the Plain Dealer and the Dispatch, Fire, and the Daily News, and the Blade. And what we started seeing is time after time, and I document this very, very much in detail in my book, and show that essentially, you know, if a conservative makes it into a news article, it's at the very end of the article, and it's only to kind of, you know, get to a point that they want to try to make. But nobody reads, you know, 20-paragraph articles. They read the first 10, and they move on. And so it's an it's a underhanded way of controlling what Ohioans and, and nationally, what Americans see. So it's what they decide to cover, how they decide to cover it, and what they decide not to cover. And what we found was they don't cover the stuff coming out of conservative libertarian groups, but they cover virtually everything coming out of liberal progressive groups. And that's why Ohioans can't make informed decisions at the ballot box, because what do you know? They've never heard the other argument. They've only heard a one-sided argument their entire lives. Has social media helped or hurt in the effort to get the word out? Oh, I think it helps our side because our side doesn't doesn't have a venue to get, get the word out. And mm-hmm. So, you know, I think social media has allowed us to, to essentially get the word out. The videos on our website now at opportunityohio.org. We've got over 1.1 million views of those videos. They, they are they are driving the debate in certain places. You know, our use of video is what helped win and defeat so far Governor Kasich's uh, severance tax hike proposal. And so, because we told stories about how this is going to impact people in the in the eastern part of the state, how it's going to impact energy industry jobs in, in Ohio, mm-hmm. and so yeah, I think social media has been a great tool for the right. Mm-hmm. What is there a state comparable to Ohio that, if you look at it in terms of relative size, population, infrastructure? Whatever the case might be, it's just is just doing a lot better than Ohio. And what what would the reasons why be if there is? Yeah, I think you know North Carolina is, a, is you know is the 
a little smaller than Ohio, but you know, it's, it's about, they've got the right number of people. And you know, there they've done some great stuff on, on taxation, on work, on work, on competition, on, on, uh, on education. And so, you know, they're advancing the ball. I think even Michigan, since uh, Governor Snyder's been in office, I mean, they've, they've tackled right to work, lowering taxes. They're creating jobs at a far greater pace than we are. We, there are things going on in states that are right next to us competing that are starting to take 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 us to the cleaner. And if we don't get going and realize that that uh, we can't you know we can't uh, cut a deal with the big bad wolf because we're that just people get eat last, which is the approach John Casey has taken, mm-hmm. or we're going to find ourselves you know you know permanently tied to the New England states that are that are so blue and so uh, left wing and so tied to big labor that it's going to be like the last place uh, that, that finally finds prosperity for their citizens and people are going to vote with their feet as they've been doing and they're going to leave Ohio in droves. It's, it's painful to say because we don't like, we don't like saying this, the state up north, but how could a state like Michigan pass right to work with, with, their, with their history of of highly, highly paid union, union workers in that state. How did, how were they able to push that through? You know why? Because they had a couple of, of, of donors, uh, that, that were sick and tired of watching Michigan be a laggard. And mm-hmm. so what they said to the governor and the legislature is you're going to pass right to work. And if you don't, we will never support you politically again. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and that was where the, the political class, was told what they had to do by the by the donors, by the people, right? And in Ohio, we got exactly all this. You know, we've got all these donors, some of them very wealthy, some of them in your neck of the woods, right? And they all they care about is, is, is that they have the governor's uh, phone number on their cell phone so that they can call. They're, they're the star people, the stars in their eyes because they're booed over when they get a call from John Kasich. Instead of telling John Kasich what to do, he tells them what to do. And that's a huge problem in Ohio is that our, our donor class is 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 so uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, so infatuated with the political class, John Boehner, right, uh, Governor Kasich, that that they will be told what to do instead of saying, no, 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 you work for me, you depend on my contributions in order for you to do what you want to do. You're going to do this, or we're gonna, or we're not going to give you any more money. If they did that, we'd have right to work overnight. I, I've often told people that I would vote for any candidate that was if they were interviewed, asked about how government could solve something, if they said government doesn't solve anything, all I want to do is cut things, that would be the person I would vote for all the time. <laughs> well, well, I think you've got to be there's a role for government, but it, it's, it's a lot smaller than the role it, it has today. So, so the key is, you know, is being, being a surgeon with a scalpel and excising what you can where you can, and in that way getting government to the right size where it works on behalf of taxpayers and the people, in an efficient and effective way, not in the way it does today, which is just kind of overrides our lives and, 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 and makes it harder for us to just kind of get by and do the things we want to do. Who who on the landscape do you see with the we've got a governor election coming up soon? Who who's someone that in your mind fits a lot of the ideals and, and has a lot of the principles that we've talked about in this interview today? You know, I, I wish I could give you the good news that there was somebody that, you know, in the political process today that I think could carry that ball. But unfortunately, I don't think there is. You know, I think they sometimes talk the right language, but they're either, you know, they've got some, I think, ethical challenges or, or they're really moderate and they don't really believe what they say or they'll say it to you, but then when they you know, walk away, they'll 
you know, quickly move on to the next thing and they don't believe what they say. And so unfortunately, you know, I, I'm, I, what I fear is that if we don't get somebody different in 2019 uh, in Ohio, then we're going to get more of the same that we've had for the last 28 years under mostly Republican uh, governors, which is, you know, much to about nothing and fall further behind uh, the rest of America. Last question I had for you, Matt, was what what drives you to to work in this organization, and what what drives you to to push the mission? Because that that last that last statement really hit home with me. Because yeah, you're right. The last 28 years, things have been going in the opposite direction, but yet you're there fighting fighting a good fight for for what your organization believes every single day what what drives you and do you have moments of frustration where you just think about giving up yeah of course you know my wife is a, is a great sounding board for those frustrations uh and thankfully she she believes in what we do so she she uh encouraged me to stay here you know, keep fighting the fight but look you know i'm a, I'm a fifth generation ohioan my son is a sixth generation ohioan uh you know i i, I have great pride in the fact that when my my family immigrated from from Europe, they came here, mm-hmm. and I want to make the state great again. And and so I believe, you know, we have a calling to try to do what we can to make Ohio the place that it was when my, you know, first first immigrant uh, family member came here and said, of all the places I could go in America, I wanted to come to Ohio. Mm-hmm. And so we'll do that. And, you know, there's a, a great piece I saw the other day, and a guy was walking on the beach, and he, he saw a young, a young man uh, standing in the water throwing things into the ocean. And as he got closer, he saw that there were thousands starfish uh, all along the beach. Oh, this is a great story. Picking one up at a time and throwing it in the yeah. beach. And the man said to him, you know, why are you doing this? You, you, you possibly can't save all of these starfish. They will they will die uh, before you can get them all back into the ocean. And, and the man looked at him, and the young man looked at him, and he picked up a starfish through the ocean and said, that one is grateful for me doing what I do. So that's why I do it. If I can save one life, it's worth doing. And I think for some of us, if we could win one fight, then we can win the next one, maybe, mm-hmm. and then the next one, and we can build on that foundation and hopefully get get back to Ohio being great again in a place where people want to come, want to work, want to raise their children, because it is a great state. It has been a great state, but right now it's been on its knees for the last couple of decades because the political class has been too unwilling to do the tough stuff, uh, and so we've just been kind of nibbling on the margins and making it harder and harder for Ohio to get ahead. Okay. Uh, Matt? You're you're a very you're a very successful person that's very passionate about your cause. What what have been a couple of your core values that you can share with the audience that you learned from you learned from people of influence in your life that that you try and carry on and that you're trying to instill in your son today? You know, I think we've got to live a, a, a principled life, uh, and I and I believe passionately that that hard work and determination is far more important than IQ or or who, who your parents were. And so to me, I've always tried to work as hard as I can in a principled manner and fight fight the fights that matter so that way, right, my kids and grandkids inherit a better better world than I had. And, and those are the things I learned from my grandfather who got up every day and worked hard uh, at the seed store, uh, did what he had to do to get by, raised his kids as best he could. You know, I see that in the story of Ronald Reagan. You know, Ronald Reagan you know, came from a pretty fractured environment that wasn't very good economically. And he fought and did what he could, and he worked hard, and he, and he kept kept his belief in himself. 
and he fought on behalf of big, big important ideas. And that is kind of how I try to live my life as well. What What do you want your legacy to be personally and with Opportunity Ohio? You know, personally, if, if, if I can, if I can, uh, you know, live a lifelong life where at the end of it I can look back and say we made a difference in Ohio and in America, then I'm going to be pretty darn proud of it. Uh, you know, this course is after I have my like we raised my kids right and my kids go on to do great things uh, and be good people. Uh, and then for Opportunity Ohio, you know, I want Opportunity to matter and to be something that you know, in, in, in the decade, ten people look back and say, "Thank God it was there to, to you know, to, to, to stand up to the to political establishment, to stand up to the left and say." No, you're not going to have your way anymore. There's a new day in town, a new sheriff in town, and we're going to call it as we see it, and we're going to push the right issues, and we're going to get some victories that advance the state of Ohio and the taxpayers because they come first, not government, not politicians. Great. Matt, for the audience, what are some ways that they could reach out and connect with you? Yeah, so we can, you know, you can follow me on Twitter at, at, at Ohio Matt. Uh, you can go to our Facebook page, it's Opportunity Ohio. The website is www.opportunityohio.org. And you can email us at contact at opportunityohio.org anytime you want, and uh, we'll do what we can to help you. Okay. Well, thank you for taking the time to be with us today. I really appreciate the conversation. No, thanks for having me on. I look forward to uh, hearing it and promoting it to whenever it uh, makes it on, the, on your uh, website. Okay. Well, if you can hold the line just for a moment, I'm going to sign off. Thank you for tuning in to the Outstanding Ohioans show. Our guest today was Matt Mayer from Opportunity Ohio. We look forward to future episodes. 